Greetings, friends! Welcome back to the Film Alchemist Podcast, the show where we look at movies we love, break them apart, to find out what gives them their magic. I'm your host, Josh Griffey, joined again by my mean, naughty, uppity schoolgirl and prankster friend and co-host. Can't say that's not the first time I've been described that way. Alex Dandino. I think I remember that from your wedding vows. Just kidding, I was too drunk to remember your wedding. So As that. always, guys, please take a second and leave us a rating and review, especially if you find us on Apple Podcast app. A quick five star, a quick sentence about why you like the show helps us out enormously. Right. Thank you. Uh, you can subscribe to our YouTube channel. That's Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. So you can see our lovely uh, jailbreaking faces uh, with our voices. Uh, find us on all your social media, especially Twitter at Film Alchemist number one. Uh, and you can email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com, with your ideas for movies you'd like to see covered, themes, guests, double features, new stuff you want to hear us talk about, anything you want, we want to get to. And that's actually what we're here to do today. Uh, this is Fan Submission Month, so I hope you guys listened to Back to the Future Trilogy. That was a really fun jaunt uh through time and hill valley i think it's always it was nice called. when kevin and cloud come on the pod you know I always yeah they always, always bring I always good love stuff. To those episodes well kevin always brings like a lot of research and he has like good structure <laughs> yeah and i'm just like a scatterbrained chaos man so that was fun uh dark man was also fan submission we started wonderful yeah so we, we've got some good fan stuff going on neon demon of course so thank you guys for that and we plow ahead uh this was actually added on last second this is a wife edition special. Yes. Uh, Andrea Dandino dropping Jawbreaker, the 1990 gym Jawbreaker on us today. Uh, Alex, initial thoughts on Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker is a fascinating movie. Uh, it came about at the same time like a lot of the other teen movies were coming out. Like a lot of those Shakespeare teen comedies. Uh Ooh, not yes. the not the same tone as some of those, I'd say. Uh, <laughs> slightly different. <laughs> you mean the uh, the star wipes and Looney Tune effects? Don't give you that Shakespearean vibe. Yeah, well, I have to even. say before we get to, before we deviate too much, I I love weird choices in movies because yes. <laughs> so many of the movies you see are kind of cookie cutter and this and that. To be in the room when someone just had that moment, what is this film missing? Oh my God! Star wipes and like slide whistles and Looney Tunes, Foley South. When someone was sitting in that director's room and just went, or that editing bay, Eureka! Yeah, right. That's like one of the great Eurekas. I wish I could travel back yeah, in time to there's witness. There's a lot life. of that going on in this movie. I, I mean, like it's interesting. Like, so my wife picked this, and she like I was talking with her, and I was telling her about what we're doing this month, and she uh, she was like, "Can I?" offer a suggestion i'm like of course you can offer a suggestion she's like because i'm technically a fan i'm like well that's very nice of you to say uh so <laughs> she is like i would also love i will mention amy goes what the hell and i was like what she's like i got ideas i got suggestions i was oh, like shit. jesus get in line i was like i'm not budding actual fans for my wife <laughs> that did not fly fyi that did does not, not fly well, huh? fellow podcasters yeah hmm. You'll, you'll be lucky. Right, to, so you'll what, be lucky if you don't wake up about... with a jawbreaker shoved down your throat. Um, I mean, <laughs> there are days. No, yeah, I'm just kidding. Right, this so, movie is such a weird, like, it's such a weird hodgepodge of like dark comedy. Uh, it obviously borrows like, I don't know, everything from Heather's. Like, 
everything other than like yeah. the Marilyn Manson cameo. It's pretty much just Heather's. <laughs> I feel like Heather's is one of those watershed movies. Yeah. That when Heather's came out, it created an entire genre of films that wanted to be Heather's, right? Well, and I think I think I, this movie clearly owes everything it is to Heather's. Right. I think it's actually an interesting kind of companion piece to Heather's because I think the thing that is most noticeable about Jawbreaker, right? There's some really good stuff that's in this movie. Yeah. There's some really good moments. I think the biggest difference between this and Heather's and why this one is a little bit more critically panned, a little bit more lost to the sands of time than Heather's is, is somewhat twofold is one. I never for the life of me understood what this movie was trying to say, right? Like Heather's is this amazing dissection of high school cliques and, uh, you know, the different kind of life choices that kids this age make and trying to grow up too fast and, yeah. There's a lot of that, almost like this media-inspired violence. Like, Heather's has right. an inordinate amount to say, right? Mm-hmm. The other problem is we don't have the Winona Ryder character, right? So when you watch Heather's, you totally are with Winona Ryder the entire movie. She's the POV. Even as she's doing bad things or helping bad things happen, we still are emotionally attached to her. And we we rooting for her, right? Right. For the life of me, watching this movie, I did not find one person to emotionally root for. And it, it's funny. I feel like this has the same – because we mentioned that in Neon Demon too. But this one even less, right? Because I mean, at I first think you that... think it's going to be Judy Greer. But Judy Greer takes the Faustian bargain almost immediately. Yeah. I mean, to me, and I think – And then Julie, right, the the other girl. Right, Rebecca Gayhart. She, she sits on it for – like <laughs> – I mean, is she really? I mean, that to me, <laughs> like the—I mean, just to the very—I mean, God, dude, the outset of this movie, like the very first fucking thing you see in this movie is literally this. So you get like the intro of these four girls, the mean girls, yes. essentially, and then the next thing you know, one of them is getting a fucking jawbreaker shoved in her mouth and taped shut, and I'm like, this is already off to a very intense start because obviously, if the movie's yeah. called Jawbreaker, you know where this is going. So she's thrown in the trunk of the car, and you're like. That is not going to work out well at all. You know at what's all. funny is, and I remember seeing this movie back in the day. Oh, yeah. I've seen it a couple of it times. It absolutely did not dawn on me at all that this was about the Jawbreaker candy. <laughs> I thought this was, I was, I don't know what I was expecting, like a fist fight or like some uh, acts of amour run amok. Like, I don't know what I was expecting. But the last thing I thought this was going to do is like, the inciting incident was going to be a candy yeah. accident, right? So when it starts, it's it's this, you know, idyllic girl laying in the bed. Not only is she part of the, you know, the fabulous four, right? The mean girls. Your school has them. Everyone wants to be them. Right. Uh, it starts off with her getting kidnapped by people in these creepy masks and mm-hmm. hoodies. I mean, again, this movie it's, starts it's off very much, it starts off much darker than I would say other teen comedies. Like again, everybody looked way oh, too absolutely. old to be in high school in a lot of these movies this might be the biggest culprit of such like all of these people yeah. look way too old to be in high school but again you well, just julie sort of... looks like she's 35 when this is happening right like she's just oh yeah it's that classic meme that goes around where it's like here's what i look like in high school it's like a kid with backpack and brace like here's what movies thing it's like a guy with like five o'clock shadow like, yeah i mean who are these people but but i think that actually becomes an interesting thing later in the movie right is that because one of the just kind of very obvious things in the movie is like, where the fuck 
are these parents. I mean, right? Because yeah. it's like one of those scenes, right? Like a lot of these movies have it. There's the scene where Rose McGowan is just um, one of the weirder choices in the movie is the uh, her and her boyfriend, right, in her house, and she's like, "We need to kink it up." So, um, popsicle, right? And I was like, "All right, where are we going with this popsicle?" Like, maybe I'll take some notes, you know? Like, you gotta keep, you gotta keep it spicy. Keep it like, spicy. all right, yeah, go for it. Yeah, yeah. you know. Totally. Oh, I want to see some uh, mango amour. Let's do it. And then all of a sudden you're like that. All right. But also, right. As I'm sitting there and saying that is not the, um, you know, my body is a wonderland kind of hellscape I was hoping for. Right. I will say this never in my wildest dreams would I have ever brought a girl to my parents' house and be like, maybe we should get buck wild in my room. Uh, just, you know, filleting popsicles and just, like, that would even be a thing that could happen, right? This is one of those things that happens in rich teenage kid movies. Yeah. Well, that I was like, is this actually a thing? Or, did, you know, and it's just impossible for me to accept because yeah. I was a Midwestern kid. Well, it's interesting because, like, I think, again, like, this movie borrows a lot of... Because we talked, like, very beginning, we talked about Heathers. Like, Heathers is obviously, like, a blueprint for a lot of what I would call, like, the mean girl genre of these movies. To me, though... I ultimately think uh, there's like three or four movies. I did a lot of, I actually did a lot of research. Cause it was like, why was this movie not like super well thought? Like not only is the movie like not particularly like it's very pretty streamlined plot, but also there's a lot of design elements to this movie. Like you were talking about there's slide whistle and a bunch of other stuff. But I would say I would go further than that. Like I'd say costumes and that kind of shit. Uh, there's a lot of design elements that feel very oddly out of place because it's the nineties. So yeah. I did a bunch of research and actually um, I found a great video online that said that he um, not only is Heather's a reference, but also there's a movie called, I think the violent years or the violent girls basically from 1956, pretty much about the same thing, like a click of girls who are just like shitty people. So yeah. th then I thought about that and you think about the fashion in this movie and the way these girls look, cause these girls are dressed pretty much like, you know, extras from Greece for most of the movie. Like <laughs> there's a lot of like, there's a lot of pencil skirts and a lot of that shit. So that See, I, I think I was getting a very, uh, background of a prodigy music video. Look like a lot of plastics. Well, yeah, that was things. a big, like, actually I, I, I heard the director, Darren Stein, like banned black from set. Like no one was allowed to be dressed in black apparently. So I'm like, that's a weird choice, but also, yeah. you know, Whatever. Forget black. Lime green is the fashion of the. Dumb. It must be lime green and hot pink the entire film. You are out. Out. I say. It goes there. There is a line in the movie, though, where I think a lot of this somehow congeals together to work. Right. Where there's a line when uh, Judy Greer at the end's like, she's so evil and she's only in high school. <laughs> and I was like, I do think one thing this movie does well to me is it captures that sense of high school where there is this kind of power dynamic in high school where kids think that's the final step and you can conquer that kingdom game of thrones style and you rule and like there's a great right after she's filleting the pops or better yet chip or whatever is you know fucking 90s white person name was right chip or dale whatever <laughs> who the, after the, he's the filleting the popsicle dane yeah. dane dane oh <laughs> see that's so much more 90s than what yeah. i did yeah Dane. Dane. Yeah, so she leaves Dane with the popsicle and she comes out to the cops. And this girl has just committed a violent murder and kidnapping, right? Right. And we'll kind of jump back there, but 
when the cops come to the door and ask if it's her name, maybe, and just the eyebrows. And I was like, this is a fucking child yeah, who thinks that because she is popular, which I put in quotes because I don't know that she's ever shown as popular in this movie, powerful, she thinks, she thinks she's going to like have the cops in for a popsicle and beat the rap. Yeah, I like, think that's I like, an interesting. There is a dynamic of how they view the really world that is I, interesting. This is a fascinating thing that I'm kind of interested in about this movie because this movie focuses a lot on the mean girls aspect of like the cliques of high school and that kind of thing. And what's interesting to me about this movie is that at no point is it addressed that people actually like these girls. They just fear them dearly. Like, to the point where, like, they will not step on their toes. I mean, in Fern Mayo, uh, Judy Greer's character is a great example. Like, she, that scene where they decide to, because obviously she's, like, heard the, uh, she walk, like she walks in on them <laughs> committing, I don't know, what, the third felony in the movie. And um, she, yeah. they, like, chase her down the street. And then uh, uh, Courtney, uh, Rose McGowan's character, literally like, cups her face. She's like, it is your lucky day. Like that. Yeah. Well, to she me, said fate, fate reaches down and has decided you'll be something you never should have been cool. I think. Yeah. Like, I was like that's a great, that's which a, is a great, great line. Like, high school villainous line. Right. And that's the, But again, she's not like Courtney Shane is one of the great, like, I think, I think is a great character, great high school villain, great villain for a high school movie, you know? But okay. That to me is the ultimate. And that is to me is the ultimate hype, like, thesis of the movie that scene in and of itself is to me a lot about what the movie is trying to address which is not about like clicks or the dangers of clicks in high school what it is about really is about the danger of popularity the danger of feeling that powerful and feeling that powerful and that untouchable of what that can actually do to you that was where that was yeah. that scene i think is probably where it crystallizes for me I mean, I don't really think necessarily the movie's trying to say that for most of the movie, but that scene alone is addressing, <laughs> I think, the main issue that we had with this movie, which was what is this movie trying to get at for me? That to me is yeah. where that to me is where it's coming from. Well, yeah, because I mean, to me, when I start watching, you're like, all right, you're watching it in the lens of the mean girl at high school genre, right? And this one to me, even more than Heather's, this one to me plays a little more Jennifer's body at times, right? Yeah, totally. But the thing is, is, again, I kept coming back to that. I was like, no one likes them in this school, but they're popular and powerful. I don't like any of the characters in this movie. So what do we do? And the scene that really kind of clicked for me where I was like, oh, okay, so maybe this is these people mute there is a kind of frankenstein element of this movie right right when we see courtney create uh mayo is this kind of ultra you know as her license plate says bitch the ultra bitch version of herself right there there is kind of this creating these monsters right in a way that these rich girls who are coddled from any real sense of responsibility or try i mean within moments of committing a murder they immediately just shut the trunk and it's gone and they just go right back to making you know fucking yucks about it right you're just like yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. oh jokes <laughs> she's dead in the trunk that's a good impression and you're just like what is happening right the scene that crystallized it for me though what we're kind of doing is when she's being interviewed by pam greer right right ultra powerful woman actress uh you know pop icon pam greer right foxy mm -hmm. brown herself yep she comes in and starts laying this badass detective rap and just 
rich protected child after rich protected child just telling her, nope, 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 fuck you, you got nothing. Yeah. And to be 100% fair, never does have anything. Never really cracks the case, right? Right. The end of the movie leaves us with the justice being people pelting you with flowers. Yeah. <laughs> like, because the, the police never cracked this thing. No, this is the and true, just, a great the true justice. That, is uh, the high school, high school, uh, idolatry shattered yeah and and to be 100 percent realistic there's a great chance that brooding drama kid completely destroys the evidence right like when this is over like how this becomes you know something you can convict becomes really hard to believe and the movie leaves you with that sense of she still got away with it yeah and she'll still go to college and repeat this cycle and there is just this dead girl that we so quickly throw away that it puts us in the mindset of these girls because that opening scene right when they kidnap her and throw her in the trunk intense when they open the trunk and you see the absolute nightmare that is in that trunk right that giant bulging candy in the neck the eyes it is a truly horrific moment right it's pretty gross polaroid floats away Within moments, that is thrown out, and they just start laughing about it. And by the end of the movie, we're doing the same. We're now watching them jockeying for popularity points rather than seeking redemption for this super nice girl, as they keep telling us, who got, got, got. Who's like the only nice girl, apparently, in the high school. Like, everybody else is. Again, like, this is kind of the crazy thing is uh, the thing that – I appreciate that that's what they're attempting to get at for me. Like, I like that this movie's addressing not necessarily because we've seen it. And by, this movie came out in 99, and by that time, we had seen so many movies about like clicks and what clicks are for and what clicks do to people that this one was nice because really what it is about is like the power that popularity brings. Because when Fern turns into Violet, she almost immediately becomes this like, it takes her like literally what two days to become a total fucking monster. And that's yeah. pretty much the movie. Like you're like, well, they they actually do an Austin Powers cutaway, right? Uh-huh. You're in Austin Powers where he's like, ha ha ha, transition. This movie does the exact same thing. It's literally an Austin Powers haircut with two creepy stylists yeah. that are just like, mm, fashion from misery. And next thing you know, she's just Violet. Yeah, right. Because we go from innocent girl who's bullied at school, you know. That kind of character. She's at the doorstep of this girl, and she's running through in her mind what she's going to say to her. That's actually one of the – some of the better moments in the movie is Mayo talking about the deceased girl. Because mm-hmm. when she's at the doorstep, she's really, you know, oh, I you know, I think about you. Like, she's, she's practicing her lines. There's something extra in her affection for this girl, right? Yeah. Uh, this one girl who showed her decency in one moment. Right. And later we see that, you know, there was a constel- an infinite possibility constellation on her neck of uh, freckles or birthmarks. And you see right. this extra depth, right? Now couple that with while she's telling us that story, she's in this hideous visage of Violet. So while she's even going back and reopening this, you know, treasure trove of emotion she had for this girl. Also, she's like, yeah, but sh- she can eat it. Because I like being Violet. Right. You know? So I think that is what... The movie so rapidly takes us to where this really nice, ideal teenage girl 
is destroyed and we play with her for a minute and then throw her away and it doesn't matter. We're off to the rat race again. Right. And that becomes really effective, actually. No, I think like it's... the scene when they when they take her back, they don't even dispose of the body before going to school. Right. Because well, they can't not strut down the hallway. Right. Well, I mean, and that's I think the again, I mean, I think that's a great summary of what power and popularity bring and at least what the movie's trying to convey. Again, it's not quite Heather's because Heather's had a little more depth and a few more characters that I think we were like, again, we had people to root for at no point in this mm -hmm. movie. I think, yeah, you're right. Like there's no one to root for, which is fine. I mean, it's weird and I'm not sure I necessarily agree that we should have had absolutely no, like, I think we're supposed to root for Judy Greer, but I don't at, yeah. at least after she's like <laughs> turned into Violet, I'm like, she's a monster. I don't want to root for her. She's like literally the worst person ever. But well, they they give her maybe thirty seconds of contemplating, yeah. Where she's like, I don't know, I got caught up in this moment. You're like, all right, I understand that she's, you know, that's an intense thing for a high school kid to walk in on that horrific scene, and I they've mean, been she just... massaging her body and breaking her neck, and yeah, okay, I get it, Judy Greer, right. you're going through a lot. You're going well, through a lot, Mayo. I get it. She just wanted her to fish takes, sandwich, right? But it takes maybe one conversation in the school, and she's like, okay. And you're like, oh, well, fuck her. You're like, no, I'm not interested in her. Right. And Julie's like, yeah, I also need redemption. Uh, I wear jeans now. And I'm still an accomplice to murder. And you're like, right. nope, that's not enough. Yeah. That's not. And even the extra, like every other high school character, right? Dale, uh, you know, poor man's baby teenage Ethan Hawke, whatever that character's name was, right? The drama boy. Oh, yeah. uh, the girl who sits behind her in math class, every other high school character we see also gives you that distinct douchey aftertaste. My, my, I'm actually, there's not one character in this entire high school where you're like, that feels like where I would fit. That feels like somewhere I would have lunch. That feels like every single yeah. character. Everybody is repulsive. Seems, everybody's monstrous. The only character that I thought was not was at least the uh, principal who has like one of my again, I, it's the scene I always it's interesting because I always forget that it's in this movie, but it's the scene that I always laugh at the most is the first time when she goes, like when they're discussing the first bathroom scene, when she walks, walks in. And again, I love that this, the woman who, I can't remember her name. Um, the woman who plays the principal. I mm -hmm. love that. This is a principal who's already assuming children are up to no good. So like she walks in, she goes, hello ladies <laughs> having a smoke. Like she already automatically assumes that all these women. I've also heard Motley Crue songs. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> yes, exactly. She's like, oh, well, I've heard that rock and roll and it's no good. So like she walks in, assumes they're smoking and then walks. Carol Kane. Carol, Carol Kane. Thank one. you. Walks up to Rose yes. McGowan, tells her to cover, cover her boobs up. Like those are the kinds of things that I'm just like, that to me is. That, again, that to me puts it in another it, – it gives me the context of a different time frame. Like this movie takes place in 1999, yeah. but then when stuff like that happens and the way the girls are dressed and some of the other stuff, like in in general almost feels kind of timeless. Like it's literally in a time warp of four different time periods. Right. So – to me, no. The first time they do a star dissolve, we know we're not in a reality that we recognize anymore. <laughs> yes. This is a pocket universe of well, like even at the end when Mr. Sherwood's at the prom and every teenager in the room is like, "Eat butt, suck it." You're the, and it's like, what? Yeah. Every teenager in this movie is garbage. 
hot garbage. Absolutely terrible. But I think that's the lesson. But that's like kind of the lesson of the movie is like, not only is popularity terrible, but also everyone in high school is terrible. High school is a horrible, horrible place to be. And no one should ever have to go through it, but we all have to go through it. Well, I mean, this movie definitely tampers in like Lord of the Flies area. We're like, high school (laughs) is this little building of like people trying to just kind of be monstrous enough to survive. Uh, you know, like even people would be like, "What about brooding, uh, poor man's Walmart, Ethan Hawke?" And what you're like, guy? "Yeah, what is that guy's he meets name? he meets a girl who wears jeans, and is like, come with me to my special place.' And it's an abandoned drive. It's like, could you be more on the nose with your fucking car? Like, you think that guy's okay? That car seat is probably crusted, Zach, from That's countless other actress girls that he's done that to. You know." stare at that blank screen and then he's just you know like it's like oh you disgusting little piece the guy who the guy who plays that character you want to know the actor's name you're gonna love this the actor's name of that character is it chad christ Christ? chad christ that's correct (laughs) what a fuck no but that's what even that kid the the let's go to my spot Right. right and it believe me i was a high school boy we all had our spots you know what i mean like but it's just like the pretensions and then him getting mad about Violet. I'm like, you're the exact same. You just don't have the Karen hair, right. but you are the exact same. But that's what I mean. I get what you, I take your point that I think that all of them being little monsters as Mrs. Sherwood tries to be nice and fails. Yes. Seems to be a little off. We see her like chain smoking in her office like she's like a got PTSD from these kids. Right. And then Pam Greer, this, you know, powerful icon, can't crack these kids. It does give you this, oh, okay. And then yeah, the 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 monster aspect really plays out with Violet really well. Yeah. Uh the two scenes with her that really jump out at me, the one where they come outside and she's just writhing on the car. Oh yeah, like where on she's the hood where she, of the car. Yeah, where she's just in a white snake video. Yeah, and people are just like, whoa, whoa, whoa. I was like, what? Like, Yeah, this is also a high school, what? like, deeply, easily impressed people. Like, everyone's just like, oh, cool. Bitch in car, some pale blonde girl is on top of it. But that's I'm in. what I mean. Like, it, it gives you this sense that there's, like, some kind of extra dark hand at work here. Where, like, somehow this does feel very pocket universe Like, one of those Twilight Zone loop hells. <laughs> like, this is what this movie feels like. Right. The other scene that's really good. Uh, you know, obviously, I know everyone is going to remember the scene where Violet takes the power, right? And she's like, you know, I've got the power. I know the truth. Right. And again, that's the end of her possibly being a decent character because now she's wielding this death as a weapon. Right. Right. She wasn't innocent and now she's horrible. And her and, uh, you know, Rose McGowan are just going back and forth. That scene is great. It's a nice power dynamic shift. Right. And she's become this ultimate, you know, Frankenstein's monster. That's great. Right. But the scene when she actually bumps her head yeah. and comes to and her reality, right, is pasted everywhere. Yeah. And you see people just from seeing a picture of a girl that went to their school for a long time that they forgot was even a human being sees that and goes, "Ew, gross. <laughs> and her stumbling around trying to remove this her real self. Right. She wants to hollow herself out and be one of these plastic prodigy extras like the other you know main girls right it's actually a really awesome moment in the movie like that's a really effective and great scene i mean i think that's 
that might be the best scene in the movie. Like I love that she wakes. So first off the sound effect of her falling onto her car and hitting her head. I don't know what that sound is, by the way. Uh, it's not someone hitting the side of their car. I, it's 100% either, that's in the Looney Tunes. Back yeah, it's either uh, the sound of Wiley coyote having gravel thrown on top of him, yeah. or it is the sound of bugs, Bunny uh, digging, but either way, it's a uh, weird. It's like the Nedry sliding on the yeah. like there. There are weird sound effects. In but the either way, fine. like I, do, I, the idea of her waking up in her new rea- in her old reality, like I love yeah. that. Like her hitting her head, it's something that's really clever about the movie and something they do really well. I really enjoyed that. Um, yeah, I I like that they kind of. I like that it's 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 good because it is this fun little like shock and it is a great visual moment. But then also it resets the movie which I think is probably the thing that I like the most is that it resets the movie in an not like uncomfortable way. Like I understand that the story is changing now. Like it had to, we were now going into the third act, but I liked the way they did it because it's not, it should be like really schlocky and ham fisted and I should be offended by it. But at the same time, I am not because I think it's just fascinating. It's a, it's a great reset. It's a great move into the third act. I like that a lot. Yeah, it, it also lets you go back and ponder if uh, Rose McGowan meant to kill the girl we started the movie on. Yeah. Because, again, she I mean, she's murdering Violet the same way. Like, we get this sense that anyone that is in her way that has this power she covets right. is well, going to get it. You well, yeah, know what I mean, I mean? You think about it, like, her na- the girl they kill, her name is Liz Purr, which is weird. But that's what it, you really think. She didn't think at all she about knew, the jawbreak. She knew like, what she, she was doing. Like, when she opens the trump trunk i think she plays it very earnest right mm-hmm. now that becomes a question of if that's something rose just did because it felt right in the moment wasn't thinking about it throughout the whole character but i think she knew exactly what the fuck she's oh doing. i think she so said too. i don't want you to scream right well, well the, let's if we break this down they already broke into the house yeah. all of them in mask and hoodies it couldn't be they that they tape her mouth right yeah they drag her down to the car. They bring her back, start snapping her rigamortis body around to pose a sex scene. Who's going to hear her scream? There's obviously no adults or caretakers anywhere. Yeah, I mean, that to me, that's like... feels like an exact well, fuck I, you. I mean, and I'd say she even... I, I'd say it's almost confirmed at the end of the movie when they put that uh, greeting card recording over the loudspeaker where she literally says, I killed the teen dream. That's a great example. Yeah. I mean, that's a great line for this movie, but also it is very telling of the character she is. And that absolutely would tip you off to the fact that she totally meant to do it. Why wouldn't she if she? Well, even if she she didn't, she's the lesser. She meant it to be. Yeah, she meant it to be a shot across the bow. Right. She lacks the empathy to be a truly popular person. She rules by fear rather than love. And I think that's the thing that. that's the thing that makes her like Courtney a great villain is that she doesn't see another way. So she sees someone who can, yeah, but do it I that feel way. like, I feel like Courtney needs something to ground her before she's a great villain. Right. I don't believe Courtney actually thinks she's doing this for the betterment of anyone or that she's right. No, she's doing it for the betterment right? of herself, but that's like, right. Again, but I think a great villain needs to somewhat believe that they're on the right path and people just forget Courtney, I would like, normally let's not agree forget with before you. people are like, Courtney didn't mean to kill her with the jawbreaker. The alternative had her prank worked out was to take this girl 
in her bra and panties, tie her to the flagpole, and if I remember right, throw flapjacks at her? Yes, yeah, something like that. Or waffles, whatever. And you're like, so, okay, so even if she didn't mean to kill her, she definitely was going to traumatize her yeah, for life. these are all, like, apparently these <laughs> girls, like, do this to each other every birthday. I'm like, you guys are the worst friends. Like, I would not be, I don't yes. think anybody would be friends with any of them. But, you know, what are you going to do? I mean, I think that's the thing I wanted from the movie is I need that scene or two where they explain why these characters have power. Sure. Right? Because can't see just be based on them being she, hot. Yeah, she's got Dane, right? Like, she has Dane, and he's, you know, got a varsity letterman's jacket, whatever. Right. But everyone else in the school seems to despise them. Okay, well, we'll follow so me it's, here. So where's, where's the scene? Well, what if where's the this? club like, that they're in? What do they do? Well, what if it's this then? What if, like, so Liz is the one that everybody loves because Liz is not just popular and pretty, but she's also nice. So Decent, yeah. Liz is this decent part of the clique. So maybe... So she's giving them the popularity. She's thing. giving them the popularity. So maybe what it is is actually all three of them realizing the power vacuum and Courtney, like for instance, like the very, very beginning of the movie, Fern, who's narrating the whole movie, she says, you know, Courtney was the leader. Courtney's the leader de facto because she's the scariest. She's the one that everyone doesn't want to deal with. So if you take out the one that everyone is willing to deal with, you automatically become, you automatically become the most powerful and the most popular person in your particular clique. Because imagine Having to deal with that person on a daily basis, that's exhausting. Wouldn't you want to deal with a Liz Purr who's going to be nice and treat you right and tell you, oh, that's a great idea. Oh, yes, we should do our hair. That. Oh, yes, we should wear pink more than once this week. Those kinds of things. So really what it is, this movie is about the power vacuum left by a good, decent person not being available anymore. Interesting. Yeah, I mean, I can, I can see that. It just, it felt like, because, I mean, I guess thinking back on it, you're like, why did people like the Heathers, right? Like, she would do her surveys. But you're like, they don't really do any good in the school or, you know, whatever. Yeah. And then you can say the same thing about the movie Mean Girls with Lindsay Lohan. Like, why the fuck would anyone be friends with them? Right. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess that's what this movie does. Is it takes out that false pretense of, you know, good people, right? There are good people that get caught up in the war. And just say it's all pretense. This one just does not sugarcoat it whatsoever. No. Yeah. And constantly makes decisions that pull you out of a reality that reminds you of a high school you would have had. Yeah. I mean, that's. So, yeah. I mean, but, but I mean, like there's that like, again, I come back to the fact that the police have no impact or power on this story at all. Right. And even when Julie finally unloads on a Walmart, Ethan Hawk, right? Mm -hmm. She unloads on him. And he's like, we got to go rat her out because then, you know, Violette won't be in the play or whatever his selfish reasonings are. <laughs> you know, Pam Greer just is like, we already got the guy. We we, we got a suspect. Right. The fact that Courtney can just go to uh, said scummiest bar ever with a lineup of creepy extra villains and just bring a dude home to plow on Liz Purr's bed. While Liz's body is under the bed, that scene goes extra hard. We just kind of glossed over that. Really? That is an insane thing. Marilyn Manson banging Rose McGowan while a dead body's under the bed. Might be the most Marilyn Manson thing I've ever seen in a movie. 
<laughs> yeah, I always wonder. I'm like, is that what their real life was like, or were they just watching Great British Bake Off like everyone else? You know what I mean? Like, I wonder. I do wonder if you, you can keep that up even in your leisure time. Right, right. You know, Orvie's just like, ah, I got my my Star Wars boxers on. It's time to you know watch The Bachelor with my girl Rose. You know, like, but that it also tells you another thing that scene, which is the cops in this town are not the authority figures we think because no they they can't tell that a young girl who we're told is a virgin is a virgin right that seems like something any doctor or coroner would know is like huh it looks like her thighs and neck were snapped after rigor mortis set in yeah and then the cops just come in and they're like look there's splooge on the bed like case closed splooge death done again like that they don't even test the split again that's what i'm saying like this movie lives in this pocket universe by the way that is specifically a throwback to the 90s uh kids when we used to call it splooge right i mean but again i think this goes back to what we were talking about earlier which is this movie functions in this way that is outside the normal of what we would call like high school movies this movie functions in the way that like if you took like Grease and Heathers and a couple other movies that came way before the 90s that obviously everyone is an adult in those movies and smash them into one place. This is kind of the movie you'd end up getting simply because there's no way any of these people are under, you know, 19 years of age. But mm-hmm. at the same time, like if it was anybody younger, this would seem so much more vicious and violent. I think if all these girls were like, mean the mean girls cast can you imagine this happening like with like the mean girls cast i i don't think that movie would get made this has to be with i mean but that that begs the question is why did this movie go that extra hard route right like violette as soon as she turns we see that somehow she just ends up humping a mechanic on his rolling device well, I also it gets think gets a car out of it gets like a fucking sports fucking car out of the it fucking corvette i think that I don't know. I mean, to me personally, like and then watching who's this movie, the only parent we actually see, right? Right, is uh, the the follower girl's dad, right? Where she, he's like, I watched Oprah, and and even he seems like a follower because he's just following Oprah. So you're like, there's not a parental strong figure in the whole movie. No, but I also and it is this very strange, strange hodgepodge to mm-hmm. me. I mean, I think that this movie belongs in that same vein of Jennifer's body. Like, it's a movie that yes, goes pretty hard. And you're not sure why. And you're like, well, that was, like, vicious and weird. Yeah. But at the same time, you kind of see a different side of, like, I think it's a different version of telling that story of popularity and clicks in high school. It's not as cookie cutter as I'd say, like... I mean, you know, you look at a movie like She's All That or 10 Things I Hate About You, some of the more like popular ones from that genre. This one is like off the beaten path, particularly because it is so vicious and kind of violent. I mean, I remember reading that actually the director apparently wanted to make a horror movie first. And see, this that is, makes perfect sense. Right. Because it has the aesthetics scene. make a lot of sense to me. Yeah. That, so, that makes way more sense to me. So if you think about it as like a. If you consider the movie sort of this, it's a high school teen comedy with a horror movie accent, but like horror movie from like, I'd say like the seventies, like a horror movie accent, like it's something more of a that, slasher. Yeah. 
like a slasher, something that maybe like Craven or John, or John Carpenter light going on, you know, something that's not going to make them like, they're not going to jump at the chance to make it, but somebody who's like maybe a protege. That's to me kind of where I get what I get from the vibe I get from Jawbreaker. Yeah, it's, I mean, there, there's just a lot of elements working in so many, it just feels like you're being pulled a lot. And I just like, I want to find that one, that one center of gravity, right? Mm-hmm. What am I coming back to? What am I let? Cause I was, I was like, Violet's turn into weird has a hair, Karen haircut, horrible person who's just humping mechanics for cars. Right. So obviously there's something about the wealth, right? Again, these girls just being protected from the law and doing whatever they want. Uh, I mean, Julie does get a hug from her mom when they find out the girl died. But you're like, is that all the parenting we really like? Okay, so there there is just this weird vacuum, right, between all of them. It it is, it's almost as if Liz Purr is the character that we desperately need in the movie. Yeah, and they kill her right away, and we're just left with all of these pieces of shit, and the ghost of Liz Purr once or twice. Right. Well, I mean, I think that's again, that's a great summary of what this movie is. Is it's about the power vacuum left after a decent person is gone. I mean, that's, but see, I don't even, I don't even know if it's power, but there's an empathy vacuum. Yeah, absolutely. You're, you're missing, you're 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 waiting for that life preserver of decency. What happens when you kill the moral compass of a group of people? Yeah. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I mean, I think that's because again, even just the, the taking her down, right? The, I can't go to prom. My friend uh, got murdered. Oh yeah. By me. (laughs) <laughs> she's playing like a pouty thing hugging her dead friend's teddy bear like whoa is me i can't go to prom oh right. wait i did the murder and then all of a sudden she gets the card and she's like get my fucking corsage mom i'm going to prom right to take this girl down a peg and you just get the sense that that's all that comes of it <laughs> i mean they, in a perfect world courtney becomes mayo too i guess even even more mayo yeah <laughs> and you're like is that really all the justice we get? <laughs> it's, it's certainly the simple take, yes. I would say it's the simple version of this story, and it's the streamlined version that I think, again, I think you and I are more accustomed to something maybe that might have dug a little deeper, but I think because it doesn't, we have the opportunity to do that legwork, and we're the ones who get to kind of sit here and have yeah. that conversation rather than us you know, pontificating about maybe the more complicated aspects of social dynamics when it comes to empathy. I think instead we have to do the legwork and say, Hey, what's it, what happens when the only decent person in your friend group is a fucking corpse? <laughs> Terrible. Well, I didn't realize early in the movie that the jawbreaker is actually the boulder and Liz Purr's throat is piggy, right? Like Ooh, that's wow. the movie we're watching. All right, there you, you go. You know, like yeah. once they once they drop the boulder on her, the jawbreaker boulder, right? Uh, even as Pam Greer so eloquently says, some of the sweetest candy can be sour as death. Nice. Right? Yeah, <laughs> Whatever the had, line uh, is. What a great line. It was a great line. And I was like, I guess maybe that's the point. Because killing her right away and having every character be so bad, having the cops be so toothless it gives you this odd vacuum, right? All the actors a little older, the getting the car. I think there is this important element of not giving us anything to latch on to. Right. Cause I, again, I think that's where the other movies have this advantage, right? Mean girls has care like side characters you care for 
Heathers, we have Winona Ryder. Like, a lot of these genre, we have someone, right? And that's one of the things people like about teen movies and teen melodramas. And Like, I love teen melodrama shows. Yeah. You can find the character and, like, that was me. That would have been me. This movie does not resemble high school for one second. There's nothing about this <laughs> no, movie that feels like a high school movie. But, again, I, th- I think what you're – you're getting at is that maybe the movie itself is this indictment on the theory of high school click movies i think so which is it's all these kind of noble like you know i have to fight and beat the mean girls and then i'll get the chad for myself and you're like yeah that's another form of being the mean girls you know like because that that's another thing that, that this movie does a lot and i couldn't tell if it was just a 90s thing or reinforcing this kind of piranha tank theory which is the amount of times that the women characters in this movie make fun of a man for being too feminine. Yeah. Or feminine, right? You get that with the uh, the Chad and the popsicle. She calls her dad. You know, when he says he watches Oprah, she's like, that, that's the female half. Uh, you know, they, they constantly are throwing out these kind of like attacking people's feminine traits. And the feminine traits might be like that Chad going to town on that popsicle. That's giving. Right. Right. Oh, you you need popsicle kink. Let me help you with that. I'm I'm gonna take on this you know gigantic pops. I'll do that for you. The dad's trying to watch Oprah to connect with his daughter because he's an only parent who still is super rich, but he's trying. He's having dinner with her and talking, right. and they he gets berated for that. Right. And that is a constant theme. So I think maybe this is kind of the big you know they don't want to give us anything to cling on to. They want us to just fucking tread water. And at the end, maybe just be like, oh, the credits are just that that sweet Leo's like, I know there's room on that that board, but fuck you, Rose. <laughs> yes, that is a great analogy, I'd say. <laughs> yeah, I don't know, man. It's And it's hard, too, because when you make the movie after Heathers, you got to go your own way. And this movie, whatever it was and wasn't, it went hard. It did. And it went its own way. And again, I think perhaps it perhaps I was too hard at the start of our conversation saying I don't know what this movie says. Maybe it's more just I didn't love the way they said it because it's not how I expected it to be. I mean, it's an But there's a lot of really good stuff in this movie. There is. It's a good. (laughs) That's it for Jawbreakers. Uh (laughs) Jawbreaker. Jawbreaker one, or were they all jawbreaking? Oh, there you go. Because the enormous weight of Just their crimes <laughs> and truth broke their mouths? Question mark. Again, I really did not know this movie had a candy. <laughs> like, I don't know where. I wish I could go back in time and figure out what I thought this movie was. I think that's amazing. Anywho, yeah. <laughs> Thank you guys for joining us. Please take a second, leave a rating and review. Find us on all your socials. Email the show, filmalchemistpod at gmail.com. The YouTube channel is Nerd Alchemist, plural with an S at the end. We'll be back with more fan-selected movies. Uh, Carmelita, who has been on this show before, Good hit us up with some natural-born killers. Uh, so we cannot wait to jump in on that next. Uh, plenty of other good stuff coming for you guys. Thank you so much for the Film Alchemist. I'm Josh Griffey. I am Alex Dandino. How did you not know there was a candy in this? It's called Jawbreaker. My mind is in a closed box like you, fool. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know.